1: but it's something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon.
2: This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. And welcome to the program here on CITR 101.9 FM, syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM and available as a podcast at cityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. What are the conditions that have led to the current labor situation at Canada's largest port? And what is the significance of Vancouver's port within wider global supply chains? On the program, we'll be t- taking an in-depth look at the current labor situation involving port s- truckers. And we'll be examining the complexities of global commodity chains, ports, and the port cities just like Vancouver. That and more on the program. You're tuned into The City, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. Stay with us. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> enough to keep
3: us
2: This is The City here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and we're syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, and that's CJSF.ca. I'm Andy Longhurst. You may be listening also um, to this as a podcast at thecityfm.org. The B.C. government has introduced back-to-work legislation in an effort to end the ongoing strike by container truck drivers at Port Metro Vancouver, and this is coming out of a report from CBC. So Bill 25 Uh, will directly affect about 250 unionized truckers who are members of Unifor and includes a 90-day cooling-off period. About 1,500 unionized and non-unionized workers have been at the job for about three weeks, um, have been, excuse me, off the job for about three weeks. And uh, this is, uh, again, continuing from the CBC report. Gavin uh, McGargle with Unifor, the union representing the container truck drivers, says unionized truckers represent only 25 of the more than 1,000 truckers, uh, 250 of the more than 1,000 truckers. And he says the legislation won't work uh, because government has no control over independent truckers who make up the bulk of the strikers. And those truckers, represented by the United Truckers Association, have vowed to continue the strike. And, uh, however, port officials said last week that drivers who don't return to work risk losing their port operating licenses. Port Metro Vancouver President Robin Sylvester said truckers had already started returning to work. And the legislation provides uh, fines of up to $10,000 a day for the union and $400 per day for workers who defy the back-to-work order. And again, that report from CBC News. And on the program, we'll be examining the current port situation in depth. Peter Hall is Associate Professor of Urban Studies at Simon Fraser University, and his research examines port cities, seaports, and logistics. He is interested in the connections between shipping and logistics networks, the port, sit- the port institutions that govern and regulate them, and the resulting patterns of employment and development in port cities. And I spoke, to, I spoke with Peter Hall by phone on March 24th. So first uh, this is a fairly complex situation can you give us an overview of the truckers strike and uh, really what's at stake um, and who some of the key players are
1: so yeah thanks this is a this, this really is a complicated situation the the task in um, in the logistics chain of port container trucking is to move containers um, from to and from the marine terminals, so there are there are four container terminals in in the Vancouver area ports, um, and really with one dominant terminal operator, that's TSI Terminals. They have the, the terminal at Delta Port, as well as the um, um, one of the terminals in the Burrard Inlet. The other terminal in the Burrard Inlet is Dubai Ports World, and then there's a small container terminal on the Fraser River that uh, that doesn't see too many containers. The task of container tracking is to move containers between those, to and from those terminals to a variety of locations around the Lower Mainland. Um, One of the important locations, or one of the important types of location is the the inter, the continental rail yard. So there's a continental rail yard out in Port Coquitlam that the CP has, there's one in Surrey, um, which the CN has, Uh, but then in the process of getting the containers to those, um, to and from those intercontinental rail yards, um, there are often several steps involved. So a container might be taken full to what's called a transloading facility. Um, those are those long, thin warehouses where they have uh, marine containers on the one side and they have domestic, um, slightly bigger container trucks. Um, not not even containers. They have trucks on the other side, and the, and the goods are transloaded from there. They get mixed and matched, and get put um, get offloaded, and then get taken by truck wherever they're going um, in Western Canada, or they might get put into um, domestic rail containers, and then they get taken to the rail yard from there. And then those empty containers get moved. They might go. They might get moved from there to an empty container depot. They might get moved from there to um back to the marine terminal. Um they might get taken to another kind of transloading facility where the empty container is then filled with um products such as um um pulp paper, um some some prepackaged woods might get put in those containers, other raw materials, even scrap, um so a variety of things, grains increasingly, um specialty grains that is. So, um those empty containers get filled with exported um you know, traditional raw material commodities of Canada and then they get taken to the marine terminal again and they get exported. So port container trucking is the business of moving those containers around. And as a you know, general kind of rule of thumb, they're about um now approaching three million container units. That's the twenty foot equivalent unit. Um, because most containers are bigger than twenty foot these days, you know, maybe there are as many as two million physical boxes coming in and out of the Vancouver ports, and approaching half of those uh, the the port sometimes uh, sometimes has it's been quoted as saying thirty percent of containers leave the leave the terminals by um, by truck. Um, other numbers have it a little bit higher. Anyway, there's somewhere of the order of a million containers that need to be moved around the region um in a year, and so that's the that's the job that port container trucking does mm-hmm. um there are um it's it's a very complex industry in terms of how it's organized there are um there are a small number of um relatively well capitalized trucking firms. Um that have a more um stable employment relationship they they might be paying as much as um something in the twenty dollars an hour range uh but most most um most container truckers are paid by the load uh and it's it's the kind of interplay between paying by the load where there where you have a lot of very small operators or even individual owner operators um moving trucks uh moving containers who who have um who have had the worst kind of who've suffered the worst in terms of falling working conditions and and a and a and a and a, and a labor market and a and an economic sector where you have so many small players um really competing for um, container moves and you have a relatively small number of large players who um, who have um, who have the power in in this industry it's it sets up a condition where um, where wages and working conditions have declined um, despite some efforts to regulate the industry and so it's that it's that context um, that uh, that I think is is really that underpins the the you know the current strike that
2: we're seeing. You sort of spoke to it, but there's an interesting dynamic here with um, a significant number of uh, non-unionized uh, truckers, and as well as unionized truckers. And I'm I'm just wondering if you can speak more to that and um, and p- potentially the history of how that uh, came to be the case.
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, hi- historically, it was a it was a relatively highly historically going back into the before the you know 1980s and before it was a, a unionized job um, and the um, um, most of the people driving were regular employees what has happened since then um, is that as as the um, as the port has expanded um, and as the need for this kind of very um, um flexible contingent kind of action of moving these containers around has changed um increasingly there have been owner operators who've come into the industry and um so one one of the so so today we have a situation where we have <laughs> we have unionized workers who own their own trucks and who are paid as owner operators we have unionized workers who don't own their own trucks who are paid hourly as employees. We have non-unionized truckers who are paid hourly, um, might be working for small firms um, where groups of owner-operators have come together to create a small firm. We have uh, have owner-operators who are independent and who are paid by the load and who are not unionized but they are members of the United Trucking Association which is one of the groups that's um, w- withdrawn its um, services so it's it's a, it's it's not a situation that sort of neatly fits into unionized versus non-unionized mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. there there are there are certainly um um uh all sorts of overlapping interests um between the two groups as, as well as as well as divergent interests as well um, and then and then the other thing to say is that um, this this is this is an industry where um where uh, uh, ethnic differences are important um, probably probably half the port truckers um, are speaking Punjabi at home um, and as the as the as the industry changed from a more sort of um, um, fully unionized employee type of environment um, uh you know it's it's imp- it's impossible to to ignore the fact that um that many of the independent operators um, uh, have been um, have been immigrants second generation third generation um, immigrants from a particular community that have come into this come into into doing this work um, and that have both um both, uh, you know, both because they have don't have choices elsewhere, but also because, um, also because of you know patterns of uh, um, discrimination and so on at, at various places in the industry, um, uh, have have ended up with a with a pretty segmented, um, pretty segmented kind of industry. Um, at, but again, those those lines don't neatly break down. Um, they're they're of course are unionised. Punjabi-speaking drivers. There, of course, are uh, independent operators who are Anglo-Canadians.
2: I want to ask you, how does Port Metro Vancouver fit into all of this, and, and uh, what should people know about um, its role in, in all of this?
1: So Port, Port Metro Vancouver is, um, is set up by the federal government with the responsibility to min- administer the, um, the Crown's lands um in the furtherance of trade and so that's their that's their mandate and they have um they've tended to take a fairly terminal centric view of the world uh, which is not surprising given that they their main business is is leasing land to terminal operators <clears throat> but I say that beca- that that's important context for this because um, the the Port Metro Vancouver is in in some sense it's a it, it's a it's an authority that's set up to try and overcome um the tendency towards collective action failure in the in the logistics chain. And so uh on the one hand they are um they're tasked with um doing things like creating a land use plan and Making sure that there's industrial land available in the region, and, and they, you know, they've certainly been very active in, in, um, in lobbying for uh, roadway improvements in the region and so on. They they kind of became reluctant partners to the trucking industry um, uh, and reluctant regulators of the trucking industry. With previous disputes um, in 1999 and 2005, the settlement of those. Um, put them in the position where they were now responsible for um some of the um, enforcement and regulation of those trucking settlements um, so they they were responsible for a couple of things one was to set up a reservation system uh, where um where only and 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 the way that's evolved over time is that only only firms only trucking firms are allowed to make reservations to Pick up or deliver containers to the terminal. They also um, set up a system to license the individual um, trucks themselves. And so, you, you and, an in, and an an independent owner operator can can have a license to 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 go and pick up the a container. They need to have a reservation as well. So they've they've been put in the position of setting up this kind of um, regulatory mechanism. Um, one of the one of the allegations. Um that I think does have some does have some merit is that they haven't been very vigorous in enforcing that um and they've they there's a i think there's been a tendency to take the perspective of the terminal operator um uh which is which is the point that I began with um rather than um rather than sort of really be vigorous in making sure that um only uh only properly licensed only properly registered um vehicles get to the terminal making sure that um the 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 the, the per trip rates that were um that were established as part of the, the agreement make sure that those are um fully fully enforced um one of the things that the port talks about is that they've set up a GPS system which allows them to monitor how long the trucks spend waiting Um, at the terminal Um, and um, from the perspective of the truck drivers where that really fails is that uh, it's only used to count the time that the truckers are waiting inside the terminal itself or beyond the first gate to be more precise so so the truckers spend a matter of hours if you were to go down to um, the delta port causeway on a normal day you would see truckers Lined up the full length of the of the causeway, um, but the GPS system doesn't count the time that they spend waiting until they get to the terminal itself, and so um, so uh, a, a perspective that was um, that took more of the the sort of the interests of the working conditions of these truckers as well as the sort of broader concerns about regional road space and congestion and these kind of things would probably um would probably um count waiting time differently from the way it's currently counted. So so I think it's I think it's fair to say that the 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 port is in a difficult position as the um as the arbitrator between some very powerful interests. Um but I think it's also fair to say that they've um They've tended to take more of a terminal-centric view of the world rather than a than a broader systems view of the world.
2: So, in your recent uh, Vancouver Sun opinion piece, you outline an approach to addressing this current situation and and uh, speaking back to the current model. Um, how how uh, how would your um proposal or or the pr- approaches that are out there um uh, seek to address um this current situation and specifically a lot of the concerns that um wages are so low and that um it is it is very difficult for a lot of these um workers to make a living
1: yeah um it, 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 so the very um i mean the two there 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 are two ways broadly speaking there are two ways to um to improve wages the one is to um the one is to is to dramatically improve productivity of truckers and um and and you know so that if they could do more term, turns more 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 uh, trips per day Um, they would earn more. And the other one is to, um, is to say, you, you know, you need to regulate the industry in some way. um, uh, And that is going to be more expensive, but perhaps that's okay. We should have, we should have less of it. Um, We should make it more expensive and we should have less of it. So the, 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 the approaches that have been proposed to date, there was a, there was a a plan that the BC Trucking Association put forward, um, uh, which had a couple of recommendations to um, trying to improve turn times, reduce waiting times. Um, those are um, those were kind of restated, but uh, in a more reinforced way with the 14-point plan. Um, the 14-point plan had some. Um, had a lot of um the same kind of um, increased turn time reduced wait time what what the fourteen point plan at least in in theory um, proposed was um, some penalties for the um some in, increased penalties uh, or should i say some some more attention on the penalties um there there already were penalties in place if the if the um if there were if the trucks had to wait at the terminal for a long time um, so, it proposed some mechanisms to try and do that uh, and 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 my view on that is that y- you can get quite far with those kind of mechanisms and and they would they do they do need to be part of the of the puzzle um, uh there 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 is a need to um, to increase the speed in which the at which trucks can move through the terminal um, if we're going to make these more productive jobs, etc at the end of the day um, what what just a set of solutions that look at um, at 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 how quickly the trucks move through the terminal what that still doesn't really grasp centrally is that um If truckers are paid by the hour, or should I say, if many truckers are not paid by the hour, if many truckers are paid by the load, and there is not an extraordinary, unheard of level of enforcement around that, um, it's very hard for a, um, a trucking firm that has got regular hourly employees very difficult for them to to stay in business um, and to not be undercut and so then what becomes what we have is this kind of um, situation where uh where trucking firms that have employees know that they want to pay by the hour they know that um, there's a potential for rate cutting on the on the per trip rates and so they lower their wages because they um, can't afford to um take on the risk um of paying people hourly who might who might then be undercut by independence and who and who have long term times and then the um and then the, the 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 people who are being paid by the hour um sorry who're being paid by the trip they might not even if they don't see their rates falling they they pay for it by um being forced to wait longer Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So we have this kind of cycle where um, where it's hard to maintain um, actual hourly wage rates or effective hourly earnings rates, and so so I I don't know I don't know that there's a solution that isn't um, that doesn't have the vast majority of of port truckers driving um, on an hourly basis um uh, and um and the risk somehow um not falling on them as individual drivers the the having said that i you know got to also acknowledge the social context here which is that um there are independent drivers who want to keep being independent and um and so um and and so in a in an industry such as the port industry where there are um fluctuations in cargo movement on a seasonal basis on an annual basis um even on a weekly basis there are um there are uh there are people who want to have the flexibility of being owner operators so that if for some reason there are a reduced number of containers one month to the next, which is normal. Um, they can take their truck and they can go and drive it for someone else and uh, make their living some other way. So it's 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 a it's a hard thing to fix. Um, uh, at the moment, our our solution is is suboptimal. Our solution is um, is is probably not enough port truckers when um, when when cargo volumes are very high at, at particular times of year. Um, and certainly for the rest of the time, poor truckers who can 't make a living, um, which is why they're on strike
2: is this situation reflective more generally of of um, of global supply chains and and some of these pressures um, or I guess just the the precarious nature of the work um, and and maybe to some extent costs being downloaded onto workers in terms of that flexibility yeah, I mean-
1: yeah, that's that's a great question. So 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 if you think about the main the main sort of categories of of supply chain work, uh we we um we see we see a sort of uh kind of bifurcation in 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 large parts of um in large segments of the supply chain. So for instance, if you are um, a maritime sailor, seaman, um and you and you're and you're skilled and you're working for one of the big global shipping companies like Maersk or something like that. Very good job. Um, uh, you know, highly capitalised, um, small numbers of people responsible for um, uh, you know for moving a very high proportion of the world's containers. That's a great job. On the maritime side, there are um, there are um, particularly in the in the tramp. Um, side of um, so so the the side of the the side of marine mm-hmm. the marine shipping industry where 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 vessels are chartered um, on an occasional basis depending upon um, where, where cargo is available um, uh, some of the you know some really awful working conditions um, similar kind of thing um, in um, in terms of dock work in in our region um, dock workers. Um, have uh, have have a you know very good earnings. Um, they they need to they need to stay um, contingent in the industry for for several years up to a decade in order to establish um, full membership in in the ILWU. But w- once they do, um, that's a, that's a very high paying job and there's a lot of incentive on the employers to um, to train them. Um, and because they, you know, they know that they that they that they have to pay. So the the kind of the problem of contingency in 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 dock work has been solved um, um, by a you know by an institutional structure by a labor relations mechanism that um, that guarantees um, good wages and earnings, but with a very long, you know, relatively long waiting period before people. Um, Establish um, permanency in the industry, and then um, and then in warehouse work, um, uh, I, I did did a study in the United States a little while ago. Warehouse workers in port regions actually experienced a, a, a greater decline in their earnings than warehouse workers in non-port regions, and that's because um, that. That's one part of the supply chain where a lot of the um, contingency and um, um, uncertainty has been concentrated. And um, we, we haven't quite seen that in, in Vancouver. Um, there's, still, there's still parts of the warehouse industry which, which pay relatively well, but um, it's an increasingly uneven um, segment of the industry. And then the last part of the, of the commodity chain to mention is, is that obviously there's a lot of office work. Um, and that too has its own kind of um, um, dualism um, there are parts of the logistics industry which are very um, uh, you know very high tech um, very um, engineering computer software kind of oriented um, positions and then there are parts of it that are um, you know paperwork administrative kind of pieces as well and more stable than um, than than sort of the physical movement of stuff, but also not necessarily, um, you know, kind of a real a real mix of high higher and middle lower level um, kind of service occupations.
2: This is a another um, a more general question, but in a lot of the discussions around um, no tankers and and greener city and sustainability issues. I think a lot of the transportation and logistics um, backbone of of the Vancouver and regional economy, um, in some ways, maybe is downplayed or people wish it didn't actually exist. But I'm just mm-hmm. wondering if if there um, is a need to recognize the the importance of of logistics and transportation um, and Vancouver's situatedness within these global supply chains, um, and and play on that and, and look to that for. Um, a solid, you know, solid economic development and and decent jobs.
1: Sure, um, great, great question. I mean, the the <laughs> um, the port the port is probably the port is not as important to the regional economy as as the port industry would like us to believe, and the port is not as damaging to the environment as um, as the greener city folks would like us to believe. And um what I mean by that is that it would be possible for the people of Vancouver to get the stuff that they want to consume without a port. It would be bad for the environment it would all come in on truck but it it would be possible for us to have a functioning urban economy without the port um and um and so I think that there are there there are there are there are there are, there are, there are several ways in which um um it's, it's easy for people to talk past each other, for, for people on the environmental side to say, um, oh, well, you know, we don't need a port. Um, it's not part of our vision of our green city. Um, and certainly Vancouver has been um, squeezing out port and logistics. Act- the city of Vancouver has been squeezing out port and logistics activities for decades now. Um and that has all come at the price of industrial sprawl along the Fraser river and into the and into the and into the um and into the valley um, so there it's 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 i think it's really easy for people to um to ignore the fact that um, uh, the greener city is still a city it's still a site of consumption it's still a um, it's still a place that um uh you know, has the has externalized um some of its um logistics activity onto onto the rest of the region. I think where 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 the where the where the port industry um uh, I think um is is really blind in some of these issues is that um is that the, the argument goes well it's it's important to Western Canada, it's important to Canada that we have a functioning port, that's all true and so um so we should you know we should have we should have the cheapest biggest port we can have and that argument um that argument ignores um you know alternatives i i, I hinted earlier that it would be okay if we had a smaller more ex- okay with me if we had a smaller more expensive trucking industry and we and we moved more goods around the region by rail and and by barge um, that would be that would be okay for the environment. Um and um and it would it would change the the it would change the, the, the kind of impact that the that the that the, the port logistics industry has on the region.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Lastly and just returning to the current situation, so the the B C government is set to legislate the truckers back to work um, how do you foresee this affecting um, labor relations and uh, the climate of negotiations going forward?
1: I, I I'm, <laughs> I'm really struggling to, I'm really struggling to understand where the governments, governments, you know, both, both provincial and federal governments are coming from on this. The the fourteen point plan that was put forward um, wasn't you know it wasn't a radical plan, it wasn't a proposal to turn every truck driver into an employee Um, and the the truckers were willing to sit down and talk about the 14 point plan and for reasons I don't understand they weren't prepared to have a conversation about it Um, and um, and so there is some sort of sense that they've decided to play hard um, and and i'm just not sure where that gets them you can you can legislate um 250 um unionized employee truck drivers back to work you can't legislate um 1200 independent owner operators back to work um those groups are um they're fluid people cross between those boundaries all the time uh um you're 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 um by By threatening to take away people's licenses owner operators licenses, if you if you take away an owner operator's license they're going to take their same truck and they're going to go and drive different routes with it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And so um, what have, what have you ended up with you've, 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 you've halved the number of people who are available to work in the industry. It's going to take them a long, long time to um, to get people back into driving. Um, I think this is where the, the BC Trucking Association's in a very interesting position because they they do have member firms that sh- drive containers around the region, but it's a you know a relatively um, relatively small proportion that are moved around the region by by company owned um, trucks. Uh, are their members going to want to invest in a whole bunch of capital? to buy trucks that um, a year from now or two years from now could be again undercut by um, a new set of owner operators um, or maybe, maybe not even a new set of owner operators but um, relatives and friends of existing owner operators whose licenses have been taken away and so who are gonna sell their trucks on to someone else it's, it, this is not a this is not a way to stabilize the industry this is a this is a way to i don't know i'm not, I'm not sure what they're trying to achieve um, it just it just it, it just seems incredibly short-sighted to me mm. uh, that 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 you that you that you would rather legislate people back to work and threaten to take away their licenses than sit down and clarify what exactly is in the 14 point plan it's uh, it's a, a very strange
2: mm-hmm. uh, certainly a very complex and uh and uh fascinating uh situation um is there anything uh that we didn't touch on that uh, you'd like to uh finish with
1: um no i i think it's i think it's just uh you know for someone like me it's 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 one of those moments when uh um a piece of the global economy that's really vital, um, becomes visible. And so I, I just really hope that people pay attention and, um, and, uh, and, and, you know, take a, take a moment to try and understand a little bit about this industry, uh, and, and, and how it affects their lives. You know, we're talking about 2000 workers. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a tiny fraction of all the people who are employed in the, in Vancouver, but it's uh, it's uh, it's it's a very important, very interesting industry. It affects it affects our lives when it comes to the highways. It affects our lives in terms of regional land use decision. It affects our lives in terms of yeah, how our neighbors are doing when they go to work each day. Um, so um, so it's it's a uh, it's it's a troubling situation. I I I don't know how it's going to be resolved amicably, if if at all. Um, um but but, I think it's a great opportunity for people to um to get to know a little bit more about um you know about the way the global economy works and how it, how it lands in our region.
2: Peter, well, thank you so much for your time and for helping uh make sense of the entire situation.
1: Oh, you're welcome, thanks.
0: I'm going Brother Moses smote the water and the children all passed over. Brother Moses smoked the water and the seas give away. Brother Moses smoked the water and the children all passed over. Brother Moses smoked the water and the seas give away. Sister, are you glad that you passed that simple army? Sister, <summarize> sister, you. sister you. are sister, you glad yeah. that the seas give away? Sister, are you glad that you passed that simple army? Sister, ain't you glad that the seas give away? Brother Moses smoked the water and the children all passed over Brother Moses smoked the water and the seas give away Brother Moses smoked the water and the children all passed over Brother Moses smoked the water and the seas give away Well, God called Moses to the mountain top Brother Moses smoked the water and the seas give away Then he brad his laws into Moses heart. Brother Moses smoked the water and the seas give away. Brother Moses smoked the water and the children all passed over Brother Moses smoked the water and the seas give away Brother Moses smoked the water and the children all passed over Brother Moses smoked the water and the seas give away Glad that you passed that simple army. Sister, ain't you glad that the seas give away? Sister, ain't you glad that you pass that simple army? Sister, ain't you glad that the seas give away? Brother Moses smoked the water, and the children all passed over. Brother Moses smoked the water, and and the
2: This is the city here on citr 101.9 fm citr.ca syndicated on cjsf 90.1 fm i'm eddie longhurst thanks so much for tuning in we'll be back next week for another edition of the city an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions thanks so much for tuning in have a great week on march 28th and 29th celebrate the ubc bookstore's new space Join the new release party. On March 28th, enjoy breakfast with free coffee followed by UBC Bhangra poetry.